Hey, Jay, I was thinking about the M-plate stuff that's been going on in Uncanny, and I have some questions. What? Is, is that a dry erase board? Jay, did Fairytale Monster steal your voice? Did you trade it to a sea witch for a new Cyclops ongoing? Is it by Greg Rucka? Oh, you have laryngitis. So no new Cyclops ongoing? Huh, bummer. Okay, well, I guess we could just double record next week, or... You got me a guest? Jay, I'm not sure if... It's Ben Acker? The Thrilling Adventure Hour guy? Jay, did you sell your voice to a sea witch to get the Thrilling Adventure Hour guy on our show? Oh. Well, what am I supposed to talk to him about, then? Gambit? Okay, yeah, I, I can do that. I mean, we're still a ways out from his first appearance, but there's certainly plenty to dive into, and I've just dug up a bunch of the old miniseries. Sure, let's do this. Wait, Gambit and... Jay, what are you writing? D-E-A-D-P-O... What?! I'm Miles Stokes. Jay Edidin may or may not have sold their voice to a sea witch this week, but never fear, I am here to explain the X-Men, because it's about time someone did. Welcome to episode 121 of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, where we walk you through the ins, outs, and retcons of comics' greatest superhero soap opera. And we have kind of a special, strange episode for you uh, this week, partially because it's just me, thanks to Sea Witch Magic, and partially because we are here with Ben Acker, who's currently writing Deadpool v. Gambit. Ben, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And so I suspect many people may have heard of you in the context of Acker and Blacker. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about what you and Ben Blacker have been doing? Hmm. Where should I start? <laughs> At the very beginning, the beginning of time itself. Well, no, for real? Uh, I mean, uh, or the beginning of, you know, what you want to talk about. It's a little open-ended. Let me just... Okay, so my writing partner, his name is Ben Blacker, my name is Ben Acker. We most recently... Uh, are writing Deadpool v. Gambit for the Marvel Comics Group. Previously, we we wrote a handful of other Marvel properties, including Thunderbolts and Wolverine Season 1, and some annuals here and there, and some short things in other pieces. We've written things that aren't comics, including The Thrilling Adventure Hour. We've written things that are for public <laughs> consumption, such as the TV show Supernatural. We write together a lot, most of the time. And he couldn't be here today because he has a bit of a, a uh, an upset throat, I think is the expression for when someone has a sore throat. That's the scientific term anyway, yeah. So that is the answer to your question, I bet. <laughs> Indeed, I, I, I think so. And um, yeah, speaking of throwing in... Let me actually, I will just record a bunch of sounds, like all the sounds, and you can edit together any answer that you want. Should I just start with vowels and then... Consonants? Or? Yeah, and then you got to do, you know, the inflect up, the inflect down. We're going to have a Ben Acker Vocaloid, and we can have uh, popular manga written about it, and it'll be great. I can't wait for it to gain intelligence. <laughs> Perfect. It'll kill us all, and the end of the world begins here and now. <laughs> I kneel before the me overlords. Oh, man. That's astonishingly creepy. I love this plan. So, yeah, Thrilling Adventure Hour is definitely where I first heard of you guys, although I'm actually a recent convert. I just started listening to it uh, really recently. But that's like, I guess you guys describe it as like a new-timey, old-timey radio drama that then gets turned into a podcast? We, I think we landed on and uh, proceed each episode of the podcast with something like a new-time podcast in the style of old-time radio. Right, yeah. That was this particular phrasing. This is why you do radio dramas and I just do my dick jokes about X-Men here. The phrasing is, Look, is less particular. Not, let's, let's not point fingers at <laughs> why people ended up where they end up, because, you know, there's there's fate and luck and preparation and you know probably a lot of karma 
And, you know, in the X-Men universe, infinite alternate timelines where each possible fate that we could have ended up in uh, is a real thing and possibly also has, you know, Phoenix fighting Ahab or however they want to do it. Yeah, I feel like it was X-Men 214 where Cyclops said to Psylocke, totally. I remember that specific line and panel specifically. So, yeah, right now, right, it was was one of the best. I think we dedicated an entire episode of our show to just that specific panel. Great panel. Oh, man. Uh, But yeah, so speaking of great things, you and Ben Blacker are doing Deadpool v. Gambit. Now, longtime listeners or even short-time listeners to our show will know that it's kind of weird that we're talking about anything involving Deadpool because Jay and I have been the best (laughs) X-Men. Oh, oh, them's fighting words, Zacher. Um, So founded the X-Men in issue 214. (laughs) Oh, you know, I forget that issue did turn so much around. It changed so many things as far as the retcons. (laughs) But yeah, so I mean, historically, we've been of the Deadpool is not an X-Men character school of thought. And that's largely because there's so much Deadpool out there that if we counted him as an X-Men character, our podcast would never get anywhere because we'd just be talking about him all the time. But also because, like, the tone of Deadpool has, you know, historically been pretty different than the uh, the X-Men tone. But this series, I've been enjoying the hell out of it. And I was, like, gritting my teeth and reluctant. And, like, the kind of thing where you're trying to, you know, spoon the airplane food into a baby's mouth. And they're saying, mm-hmm. uh-uh, uh-uh. I was like that with enjoying this comic. But you won me over. So, nice work. Thanks. Yeah. So, I was thinking, like, we could talk just about, for the most part, that book, some of your other work as well. I'm all right with that. Excellent, excellent. I accept your turn. <laughs> Sweet. You know what? Let's do it on a podcast. Let's let's do that. I've, I've heard of these podcast things. I think we've each done a couple of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess to start things off, how did that get started? Was this something that you and other Ben proposed to Marvel, or did they come to you? How'd that work? Uh, for the Deadpool v. Gambit, uh, we got a call from Jordan White. Uh, Jordan D. White is his professional public showbiz celebrity name. Uh, he is... The editor that first brought us in to uh, Marvel, and occasionally he calls us for uh, some Marvel gigs, and he called us up and said, what do you guys think about Deadpool v. Gambit, and it's a con artist story? And we said, that is a challenge that sounds like a fun thing to figure out, by way of saying yes. You guys had written a fair bit of Deadpool before, like as far as the annuals and stuff that you mentioned earlier, right? We wrote a Deadpool annual, and then we wrote six issues of Thunderbolts with Deadpool as a as one of that team. But as far as Gambit, I believe this is the first time you've worked uh, with our buddy Remy, right? That is correct. This is our first experience working with him. Cool. And it's really awesome to see him in the series because Gambit has kind of gotten the short shrift in continuity for a while now. Like, he'll turn up here and there briefly, and it's usually really entertaining when he does. Like, when I think the all-female team of X-Men at one point met up with him at Burning Man which seemed like a very Gambit place for him to be. This side of Gambit, I'm enjoying the hell out of him is basically just a super sleazy con artist thief character, like immensely charming, but also a little bit of a dick. Mm-hmm. He's very pretty. Although, um, yeah, so so is it, okay, Danilo Beirut? I'm just guessing that's how you pronounce the artist's name. I, I, I guess so, too. I've seen it in print, but we've never had a, an out loud conversation. Okay, well, then let's just uh, make it canon right now. Uh, sure, Danilo absolutely. Beirut, your name is pronounced that way. If it was pronounced differently beforehand, I apologize. But yeah, I I love the way that Bayreuth draws Gambit because we have this character who's certainly very attractive, especially next to like, you know, the the pockmarked mess that is Deadpool. But I really enjoy that Remy's facial expressions, like when he's surprised or displeased, like he doesn't look like a supermodel. He looks like somebody who's uncomfortable with what's going on and has partially lost control of his face, like we all do when we're uncomfortable with what's going on. He's committed to the expressions. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. As far as the format of the book. So, you know, this is a heist. 
But it, it's interesting the way you guys have done it because we have uh, three issues out, and I believe it's still just going to be three when this episode goes live in a week since uh, number three just came out. Um, I believe you're right. But it's interesting because when the series starts in issue number one, like it's Deadpool and Gambit, but it's mostly them sort of doing like this play act of a of a Spider-Man uh, Daredevil story. Yeah, which we did not realize at the time would make it hard to preview. Yeah, because like, I guess without spoiling the gag. Right, because I mean, for me, like one of the things I enjoyed about issue one was that I had no idea what the hell was going on for most of them. Like, wait, I thought this was Deadpool and Gambit, and, and it's these other characters. What? And then when the reveal does happen, that it's just them, like you know, doing this as a big scam. That mm-hmm. that was beautiful, especially with the real uh, Daredevil and Spider Man, you know, kind of getting caught up in the middle of things, mm-hmm. and taking together. <laughs> yes. And that's one of the things that's been fun about this book for me is just that it doesn't take itself seriously, sort of, but mainly it doesn't seem to take the Marvel Universe fully seriously. Like, it's it's able to poke fun at it, like, with stuff like that, you know, with them crashing into a uh, a farmer's market full of hipsters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. It feels like what you get to do with Deadpool is a little bit what uh, Fraction did with Hawkeye, which is to obviously con artist stuff isn't his main line, you know? And so this is all on the days you don't see in the, in the other comics. So that gives us permission to show what's what, you know, Matt Murdock and Peter Parker would do just hanging out in New York, you know? Right. Yeah. And I mean, also it kind of seems to a degree to be that way with Deadpool and Gambit themselves. Cause I mean, most people know them primarily as superheroes, but it makes perfect sense that these are huge parts of who they are and what they do. I mean, Gambit, especially, you know? Mm-hmm. And well, it also we also take into consideration that they're not great superheroes. Like, <laughs> they're really two, not. Like they're really fine sometimes situationally at being heroic, but they're not like they don't have someone killed my parents. I'm going to make the world uh, give it order and in a way that feels like justice. They're dudes that are like this thing. Yeah, I'm invested in this for a story arc. Yeah, you know? and and that's actually something that I really enjoy about the way you guys handle Gambit because like. Anybody who's like a really big Gambit fan is going to have so much ridiculous continuity in their head. I mean, there's the whole like New Orleans Thieves Guild and Assassin's Guild thing. There's him being the witness in, of the X-Trader far in the future. There's him, you know, oh boy. like, you know, potentially being a third Summers brother, being a pawn of Mr. Sinister, being genetically engineered. And like, don't get me wrong. I love complex X-Men continuity or else I wouldn't be doing this show with Jay. Mm-hmm. But when it comes down to it, like, I think about my favorite Gambits, and I think about, like, the Gambit that was in the cartoon of Wolverine and the X-Men, who is basically just a thief, who's a jerk, but mm-hmm. also has a good heart. That seems to be the Gambit that you guys are going for in this series, a Gambit where, you know, he's got all that continuity and all that past, but it's not really relevant. Oh, no, absolutely. Marvel has a, a thing about, like, take what continuity you need and use what you take, but don't worry about getting everything in. To dive into the stuff that we hadn't read uh, and didn't know and really try and make to be true to it as opposed to, you know, what does a con artist story need? You know, mm-hmm. it needs, it needs these two guys doing this whole thing. It doesn't need, I mean, maybe I don't want to take things off the table. Maybe there's a twist and turn that, uh, pulls a thing way far deep in Gambit's past or <laughs> Deadpool's past, but uh, I would be surprised to see it because we've written all the issues and that doesn't happen. Hmm, unless there's some hidden uh, force behind it, unless you have sort of a psychic parasite, Cassandra Nova style, influencing your actions from deep inside your brain, which does happen now and again. So, you know, it's possible. Sure. Yeah. So... <laughs> Nods that reference. <laughs> See, that's the problem with this show is we can't get away from that. Like, I try to do things like simplify characters to talk about specific traits like you guys have done with Gambit, and I can't. I'm just broken. I'm broken inside, Ben. Well, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. <sighs> okay, thank you. I needed to hear that's- that. 
that's from a, a Deadpool mini story we did with Evan Kid Apocalypse referencing Goodwill Hunting. And then an asterisk at the end of what I said. And then somebody puts a caption box that tells where to find that Deadpool 50 or something like that. I don't know. I wish we had those in real life. (laughs) Man, you know, to encourage our friends to like, you know, buy up copies of Chronicles of Our Past, we could make a little money that way. It would be good. I would assume. Friends or friends we haven't met yet. Exactly. So, yeah, so we have Gambit with his ridiculous continuity that we're not really going into, but I do enjoy that there are little nods toward, you know, just little Gambity things. So at one point, you know, we have uh, one of the character Pilang's entourage who, you know, has the white streak in her hair, and we have, of course, the rogue references there of Deadpool saying Gambit has a type. Like, I, I know right. you've, you've mentioned that you're not, like, super, super continuity heavy yourself, but I do enjoy that there are enough nods for both Deadpool and Gambit and, you know, just the Marvel Universe as a whole in this series that, like, somebody who is a big Marvel fan is going to catch that and be like, oh, I'm smart. I caught a thing, which, as we all know, is one of any comics readers, myself included, favorite thing to do in a comic. Sure. Yeah, the, we we exhausted what we knew in our, you know, in our comic reading about Gambit. And then, uh, you know, we did the research and like found out that he had a connection to the Marauders, mm-hmm. of which Scrambler was one and Scrambler plays into this story. So we had to, like, make sure that it wouldn't preclude the events of the story we were telling. Because Scrambler was kind of the perfect guy to mess with powers. Right, yeah. And I was actually baffled to see him. Like, I had to go back a couple pages and be like, wait, is it that Scrambler? But it totally was. Because, like, the Marauders were used to seeing them have these ridiculous costumes and be really over the top in their appearance. And the Scrambler's just sort of a dude. And everybody forgets about him. But, yeah, you're right. He was the exact right person to have in this story to mess with both characters' powers. And if you look back at those old Marauders issues, Scrambler wasn't really, like, you talk about the outrageous costumes, like Scalp Hunter. And, uh, like Harpoon, like they're wearing costumes. The outrageousness of Scrambler's costume was it was a green trench coat over a yellow shirt or something like that. Like it was just, it was an outfit, like a very of the time outfit, but it, the colors were what made it comic booky. But he was just a guy who was like, along with this gang. Um, I think Jay and I theorized that he was actually a supervillain exchange student from like Riverdale or something, and that mm-hmm. they had some, you know, ridiculously shoulder armored supervillain just in math class going to the malt shop or whatever in Riverdale instead. Right. Well, yeah. And the opportunities to scramble people's powers in Riverdale were uh, limited. Yeah. I mean, he was a big fish in a small pond in that mm-hmm. very specific regard. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I mentioned Peng Lai briefly, who it turns out is Fat Cobra. But I got to say, like, for me, I enjoyed issue one. But once that character shows up, that's when I started loving the series, because he's a guy that basically talks in all capital letters all the time. Like, he just wants to have a good time and yell about everything. It's really fun to write. So I know I haven't read Immortal Iron Fist, which is from what I understand is where Fat Cobra comes from, right? Dude, I, I, know. I want to tell you how to live your life. <laughs> Put down some X books that are Byzantine in their continuity and pick up Fraction and Brubaker's run on Iron Fist and enjoy everything. And and your friend Fat Cobra was in a run of Wolverines. They Wait, were pretty good. I read all of Wolverines. How do I not remember this? I guess it was coming out weekly, so I They went down and fought a dragon. Anyway. I need to go back to that, yeah, because I definitely read that series. But him in this, he's the highlight. Like so Jay and I do video reviews of comics as they come out. And we'll have like a tag at the end of every episode where we'll just do like some stupid, funny to us thing. And Mm -hmm. with number two and three, which I ended up reviewing solo, like I was all about yelling Fat Cobra's lines all the time. And I kind of just want to do that forever, regardless of context. It's going to make funerals Uh, awkward. Forgive me. My my heart leapt when I thought where you were going with that is I just like to do that now to you. I just like to yell Fat Cobra's lines 
right now. And I got very excited. We totally can, because in fact, I have uh, this issue downloaded on Comixology with me right now. So I could just yell out, for instance, Burning Walk Strike, Golden Face Ballet, The Glorious Elbow of Revolution, Hummingbird's Last Breath, 1,000-Year Elephant's Palm, Bamboo's Fate is Your Fate, Tantric Nostril Destruction, Low-Flying Guillotine Strike. Everything he does is amazing. Yes, that, I think, was Fraction's joke in the original run of Iron Fist. Oh, just having, like, the, the move names sort of narrated out mm-hmm. every time they happen? And I'm not sure they were as goofy as these ones. I'm, I don't remember. Uh, so check it out for yourself on Comixology or your other favorite Marvel reading app. <laughs> I am 1,000% sold on this. I was like 900% sold before, but now it's 1,000, and I think that may be the threshold it takes to to manage my time correctly. I remember Bendis did it with Doctor Strange's magic spells, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I, I always like that. Like, So I'm also a, um, a role player in what little free time I, I can find. There's a game called Exalted, which is pretty much high sort of wuxia martial arts fantasy. And mm-hmm. with that, you actually have to yell out the name of every move you do. And I really think people should just integrate this into their, to their day-to-day lives. Look, far be it from me to demand how people live, but not far be it from you. Uh, you know, I'm just saying there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer here, and people can make that choice for good or evil, for boon or bane. Least resistance. Just do what he says. <laughs> exactly. With all of my, my glorious authority. But yeah, so we've talked about... You're a podcaster. That's that right. means something. A king among men. <laughs> yeah, well, at least one king among some men. That's right. <laughs> all who fall within the sound of his voice must obey his bidding. Oh, man, that's like more people than I thought it would be, too. I could use this for wonderful things or terrible things. I'll, I'll use my powers for good. <laughs> um, <laughs> although, actually, by that logic, you and Ben Blacker have a much greater power because Thrilling Adventure Hour got like super gigantic from what I understand. Oh, yeah, we will crush you. Okay, that's, that's fine. I'll just be a or, tiny voice. Was, yeah, yeah. No, we, uh, we have uh, wonderful fans all over the place in number. Yeah. And I am now one of them. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing maniacally there, but I feel good about it. It wasn't so. I mean, I, feel, I felt like... You still had the tether to your sanity. Mm-hmm. And now, and now. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but we digress. Uh, <laughs> I, I normally digress a lot, and I, I think uh, it's like a codependent kind of egging me on thing. I don't know. It's good stuff. I like it. But right. to get, we'll do it then. <laughs> Keep doing. So to get back a little more uh, on topic, though. Um, so we talked about Gambit some, and as much as it's been against podcast policy to do so, uh, let's talk some about Deadpool. He's the best X-Man. What do you got? (laughs) Oh, man, that makes me twitch inside. But that's all right. That's all right. One of the reasons that I've been enjoying this book so much is that it handles Deadpool in a way that that I like a lot better than the way I've seen him handled sometimes. Like, sometimes it seems Deadpool books can have a sort of almost cruel sense of humor. Like that it's like making fun of, you know, people getting killed or horribly maimed. And that may just be that I picked up the wrong Deadpool books in the past. But one of the things I enjoy about this book here, Deadpool v. Gambit, is that it doesn't really do that. I mean, there's a lot of carnage and destruction, certainly, but it never seems to have that that cruelty to it. Like, mostly, if anything, it's just making fun of Deadpool himself. Hmm. All right. If, if, if you agree, if you disagree, then I am... I, I'm not sure. Uh, well, I feel like when he got the beating from Fat Cobra with his powers turned off, it's, it's a little... It's more than he usually gets gets in his lap in terms of feeling pain. I don't know. Is he, I feel like Probably he's a character that has an inconsistent uh, ability to feel the pain because these regenerators does it hurt every time question is a thing that like if yeah, if you if it hurt to get skinned or whatever, uh, he'd probably avoid it more. I don't know. It's 
it's, it feels like an ontological question for the story of the Deadpool that you're writing. Uh, but yeah, no, we tried to give him the cartoony bounce backedness that you've come to expect from Deadpool. And then also with the power scramble, give him <laughs> uh, what's like a feeble aspect towards the end of the current issue because he's been broken as a guy. Right. No, that's, that's actually not something I'd considered that, you know, given how much he gets torn apart and doesn't seem to care about it, that maybe pain isn't really a thing he's super familiar with. But yeah, like I like him in this, you know, being sort of miffed at Gambit for letting this happen and just, you know, not without that sort of, of confidence and giddiness that we normally see him with. After right. he takes, in order like, to do a heist or a con artist story, trust is one of the themes you're you're necessarily going to be dealing with. And so we tried to explore that with these two guys who have on the face of it, no reason to trust or distrust each other. And so we're building that history of them uh, struggling with that. And I think um, to go back a little, that was part of why I enjoyed the way you guys did number one, like as largely a flashback to this weird Daredevil Spider-Man heist thing they had, like having that sort of history and having the the conflict they got into at the end of it when they thought they had betrayed one another. That's a nice sort of shadow over all of this as they're, you know, wondering whether are they really working together? Are they just getting played by the the boss that they're working for? What's really going on? Thank you. It's um, it, it, it's an interesting thing to see the response to a flashback taking up the majority of an issue because in the writing of it, it was, it was a fun uh, bunch of violence that, you know, is not going to be binding for characters because their names are in the title (laughs) and their names are in other titles. But I think that there is on the reading end, a hurry up and tell the story in the present. Uh, I don't want to say impatience because of the negative connotations, but the expectation of an audience that was interesting to kind of field. Uh, someone said it felt like an issue zero preceding the thing. And I don't know. It's, it's nice to hear, uh, hear you say that it, it casts a shadow, uh, throughout because that's, <laughs> that's, that was the hope. Excellent. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, for me, it works. And I think part of that is that, I don't know, like, so a large part of what we do is we cover comics that came out, you know, decades ago. And so we have the ability to look at them in context. And so when I'm reading newer comics, comics that are coming out, you know, now, I always try to remember, like, hey, we're reading this issue by issue here, we're having to wait, you know, two weeks or a month or whatever between issues. But the way that this issue is going to last the legs it's going to have is as part of a larger story as a trade paperback, or somebody reading through like a complete run on comiXology, like binging it Netflix style. <clears throat> and so, yeah, I can totally see how when people, when that's all, when that's all people have, just that issue number one, they might be like, wait a minute, what's going on here? <clears throat> but these issues, more than anything else, are parts of a larger story. And in that regard, I think it totally succeeds. I appreciate it. So anyway, though, right, uh, Deadpool, we were talking about. I've seen Deadpool paired with other characters before. Like in the X universe, I've mostly seen him paired with Cable, which is another sort of very different kind of odd couple thing. But for you, writing Deadpool and Gambit together, especially already being familiar with Deadpool, like, what is it you think that makes those characters work so well bouncing off each other in particular? They are two sides of a narcissistic coin. That should be the tagline of this series when it comes out in trade. (laughs) That's perfect. There's some banter by the end of the series. uh, And I don't want to give context or spoil it or anything like that. But it was like it made me wish that they'd had the relationship that they have at the end more throughout the series because I, it was a joy to write. And I, I, I feel like I shouldn't tell whether it's adversarial or friendly or anything, but uh, like by the end of, of this thing, I was like, Oh, these guys, 
these that's an interesting thing that's an interesting dynamic to write um but to speak to why they uh what their deal is uh in whatever the question what was the question oh basically <laughs> just <laughs> oh uh, basically just what uh what you enjoy about writing them as a pair, essentially. Like, what is what makes this better than just, oh, you know, Deadpool um, plus, say, like, Falcon or whatever? It's Well, because it's interesting because they're both, um, as, as, I, as I say, narcissistic, but, like, their priorities are in theory aligned, but in actuality so completely different. Their worldviews are so different. They're both on mission, but what that means to each of them is, you know... One, it's, it was surprising to find that Deadpool was more, more goal oriented than Gambit was in this adventure. Like, this is a thing where Gambit is so confident in their ability to pull off this heist that he gets to enjoy the journey. And Deadpool is just trying to finish this adventure because he's got his eyes on, on the briefcase full of cash. You know? It's, yeah. He, he's less, he's not, Deadpool's not going to kiss every girl in the entourage. And, and Gambit totally is. So it's, it's, Gambit gets to stop and smell the roses in a way that Deadpool lost his sense of smell years ago. <laughs> yeah, I love how, um, how distractible Gambit is. Like, one of my favorite parts, I don't have the panel in front of me, but when Deadpool's complaining about Gambit not having been there to save him from getting martial arts nearly to death. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, you were busy doinking all those ladies. And Gambit's like, well, yes, of, of, of course I was, obviously, but I was leaving time. And mm-hmm. I love that for him, like, it's not that he doesn't take things seriously. It's just that that level of confidence makes him think that he only needs to take them so seriously. Right. And he didn't he didn't know that his powers were going to get jacked up if everything had gone according to all the plans they could plan on. He would have been there in time. Yeah, but I mean, they're in a heist story. Things can't go right. They start out going right and then everything goes to shit like almost immediately. That's, that's how it has to work. Yeah, but they don't know that. <laughs> I know, and they, I love that. Yeah, yeah, they thought that they planned everything. It's it's the fun of a heist is is going every contingency you could know about has been accounted for. What is the thing you couldn't count on? Mm-hmm. Although, like in the opposite direction, I keep coming back to Fat Cobra because he's my favorite character in this series. But I remember when they're first meeting him, when they're trying to get his fingerprints for their boss by taking him out on a night on the town. And, like, they keep making these minor mistakes, like, as far as Deadpool, you know, talking about his mutant drinking factor or whatever. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, Fat Cobra starts to ask what's up, and then he's like, you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't like, matter. I, I enjoy that he's just happy to go along with the narrative because he's having a good time, which feels very at home in a comic involving Deadpool, which is all about interacting with the narrative. They're each, each of the three, Deadpool, Gambit, and Fat Cobra, are ascending levels of hedonistic, you know? Yeah. Like... Deadpool wants to have a good time as far as he's concerned. And then Gambit wants to have a bodily good time. And then Fat Cobra wants to experience everything. Right. Yeah. I remember like when they take him to that sort of cage match fight club mm-hmm. thing and he's like, oh, this looks like fun. I'm just going to jump in and fight literally everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. And what a who's who of villains. We, we we gave Danilo some parameters and. But not we didn't say these ones. Uh, we we the first two we, we said it should be. Uh, I was Bullet and uh, one of the Wrecking Crew. Mm-hmm. But then when he was, it, we were like, and you know, pick around who who you want to draw that jumps in there. It was pretty random, uh, yeah. Like the only one I think I initially recognized as an X fan was Blob, and then I started looking up the rest of them. And yeah, it's it's so wonderfully random, which I guess is part of the fun of writing in the Marvel Universe is that you have like four thousand characters to choose from for any given role. Right. It's fun to go, well, who would, like, in their spare time between thugging, 
go fight in a, a place where, you know, the food is good and the, and the perks are nice. And like, it's just a bare knuckle brawl. Who is it called? The broil and brawl, I think was the name. Of that <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Or, you know, who would be at a random supervillain cookout on a nice sunny mm-hmm. afternoon? Like the boomerang was just hanging out with a bunch of the marauders. I love that. Mm-hmm. No, that was a fun, that was a fun pick and choose. Cause yeah, they're, they're all of a, of a certain type mm-hmm. uh, that we might see them more in upcoming issues. I mean, if the absorbing man absorbs a hot dog and turns into hot dog substance again, uh, even mm-hmm. if it's just in my memory or imagination or heart, then I'm happy about that. You know, I've been trying to write absorbing man for so long. He's one of my favorite guys. And I have, uh, I've, I've pitched Marvel a handful of different when we, when we thought we would have a longer Thunderbolts run, there was a, a time where I thought we could get absorbing man to be one of the Thunderbolts, but he's one, he's one of my favorite characters from way back. And it was a pleasure to write for him. And it was nice to know that he was also curious about what would happen if he turned into a hot dog. (laughs) Right. Well, and that's the thing. Like, you know, so many writers are unwilling to take powers to their logical conclusions. I mean, the absorbing man will absorb, you know, like mystic Uru metal from Thor's hammer or just Mm -hmm. concrete or steel. But if he he can absorb anything, I mean, he's not doing a supervillain heist all the time. Like, you'd think he would just sort of play around with, huh, I could absorb like partially gelled jello what would that be like maybe it's a Mm -hmm. bad idea but i don't know i'm bored like yeah i'm gonna win this fight so let me see how (laughs) how i can do it with like one hand time behind my back there was one issue of something maybe it was more i can't remember what it was but he turned into like cocaine does that ring a bell no that's definitely the kind of thing i would remember i don't think i've read that one i think he turned into cocaine like he touched a little bit of cocaine and turned into a lot of cocaine and whoever was with him was like Great. We just made a million dollars on the amount of cocaine. We, we have now 100, 280 pounds of cocaine. Like they cut him up and sold him. <laughs> I, sw- I swear to God, this, this is a thing. I don't know who's, what hero's book it was in. And it might have been like a Marvel stand in for cocaine. I don't know if they ever actually said the word. Right. Cocaine. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, it was just such a strange. Of course you do that with Absorbing Man. And now I'm going to lose my day job as, you know, next time I remember this, I start Googling Absorbing Man cocaine on my work computer. Mm-hmm. Probably if you just Google cocaine, you'll get right to it. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it'll be the first uh, hit. Like, everyone loves the Absorbing Man. We're right. all Thor fans here. <laughs> Speaking of digressing. Oh, did you hear about that one digression that happened? Oh, uh, no, but that does remind me of a different thing I wanted to bring up that I should tell you about. Uh-huh. <laughs> Did I mention that I'm glad you're on this episode? Thank you for being on this episode. It's my pleasure. <laughs> it seems to fit well. Anyway, but yeah, so I don't think I had any other specific things I wanted to ask about Deadpool v. Gambit. So I wanted to ask if there was anything else you wanted to bring up about it while we're on that topic before we move on. Mm-hmm. Issues one through three available now. Issues four and five coming soon. Uh, <laughs> what a goofy thing we did in issue four. Uh, please do not miss it. It is. It is... We, I can't, I can't wait to see what people think of it. <laughs> I'm issue four is crazy. I, I'm intrigued. I, I seem to enjoy this in a book a different way than anything we've done so far. Yeah, yeah, I seem to enjoy this book more the more it goes off the rails. So I, I feel good about that. I don't know that we ever started with rails. These are the two worst guys to pick to do a con. By the way, like, <laughs> what initially drew us is here are two guys for whom thinking three steps ahead is a challenge they've never met before. Right. And what I enjoy is that they don't realize that that makes them bad at doing cons. Like they still think they're going to be awesome at it, especially, you know, Gambit, it seems. Sure. Well, yeah, if it's for Gambit, it's what is a a thing that smooth people do. I am a smooth person. Therefore I can do this. Mm -hmm. He's gotten by, by uh, luck charm and looks. 
his whole life. Why should this be different? And also, I guess if you look at continuity, he was the king of presidents of a thieves guild. So it's probably in his skill set. But although, okay, speaking of that, I want to get your take on this because nobody can seem to agree. So Gambit at times has been said to have the mutant power of being specifically like mutant charming. And other times he's just a charming dude. What's your take? Whether it's a power, whether it's just because he's so pretty right. and has an accent. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I don't think it's his mutant power. I think, I, I know the mutants can have real disconnected powers, but his eyes do, his eyes are janky. So maybe it is some sort of eye thing. Yeah. I mean, we certainly learned from like the Silver Age that weird eyes, especially spirally eyes, can control people's minds. Also, I think white baboons, according to old Teen Titans issues, for some reason, that's mm-hmm. a thing. That makes sense. So there you go. So yeah, I copped out on your answer. But no, I I had forgotten that his eyes were like that until we started seeing art from this book. Yeah, and I was actually reading earlier this week the old 1993 Gambit miniseries, and they play that up hard. Like, anytime they can look at the little beady red eyes, they do it all the time, which I, uh, it's weird, and I love it, and I hate it, and I love it. Yeah, I don't need it at all. It's not, (laughs) it doesn't factor into my memory of the character. And we tried to have them call each other Wade and Remy more than Gambit and Deadpool. I don't know if we were successful at it, but it was one of the things we were playing with in a con book. You're not, you don't want to attract the attention of being in a costume that is recognizable and trackable. Exactly. Yeah. And for what it's worth, when I found when I was reviewing these issues for our videos, I at least called Deadpool Wade a whole bunch. So at least that mm-hmm. half totally came through. That's good. The other half, I think I just like saying the word gambit. It's a fun word to say. Yeah. It has that mb in there. Mm, yes. I love it. I love it. Cool. So, yeah, Deadpool v. Gambit. Uh, listeners, I personally recommend it. Obviously, I I'm, also you know, do. Yes, well, hey, so neither of us is biased at all. So there you go. Hey, the head of Marvel is going to sleep well either way tonight. <laughs> That's probably true. In, in his yeah, self-printed Marvel on, books. I don't work on commission. <laughs> so other stuff. So you guys have also written uh, some Thunderbolts and some Deadpool, which aren't terribly directly X-related. But you guys did Wolverine Season 1 a while back as well. That was our first foray into comics. Uh, into comics, period. Mm-hmm. I mean, as writers. Okay. Yes. How'd you guys get that gig? Uh, Jordan D. White reached out to us. He's a fan of the Thrilling Adventure Hour. He does ukulele covers of songs on YouTube. And we found that he had done a ukulele cover of the Sparks Nevada theme, uh, which felt like we had arrived in a certain way when people <laughs> are covering your songs on YouTube. Right. And uh, I think his was the first cover of, of one of our songs. So we said, gosh, thanks. And he asked us if there was a way that we could write, uh, having heard Thrilling Adventure, if there was a way we could write something that wasn't funny. Uh, and we informed him that we had written for Supernatural, so we could totally write not funny. And he offered us uh, the Wolverine season one book, and it was the most exciting offer to receive. We said yes right away. Uh, and we wrote it, even though it is it comes out as a trade paperback, we wrote it in case they ever wanted to break it up into issues. So we wrote like five 20 page issues, but they were, they were collected instantly, but we wrote the first two issues. And then we did a Kickstarter for thrilling adventure that allowed us to do a graphic novel or I'm sorry, a trade paperback. I've been informed of a hundred and I think it was 144 page trade paperback of thrilling adventure stuff. And then we went back and did issues three, four and five of, uh, of Wolverine. That was just the timing of everything that happened. So you can chart our uh, experience with comics in the first issue being the first thing we ever wrote, the second being the second, and then third and fourth and fifth, uh, having written over a hundred pages of comics in a month. Holy crap. Uh, it was a great learning curve. Even those first two issues, 
hearing the editorial night notes from Jordan was, uh, was maybe this is not as X related as your podcast is bent to, but this is what happened. This is the truth. Deal with it. Um, <laughs> it was, it was neat. And you know, it was a dream to write like a deconstructed ish Hulk 181, you know, yeah. uh, 181, 182 and go like, what's the before, what's the after who, who's emotionally invested in the story in terms of the characters in it. And what are the ramifications of that? Yeah, and that's that's something that um that very much for me echoed uh, Dennis Hopeless's X Men season one, which is one of my favorite comics. Period. That Wolverine season one does too, which is that you know you take these early stories, these early disparate stories where people didn't really have you know a grand plan as much as one might think, and mm-hmm. specifically where they had no idea where the characters were going to go years and years and years later, and it sort of turns it into this cohesive thing. So like we have you know. In Wolverine season one, we have Wendigo, who initially was just sort of a villain, like who had a premise, but not a whole lot of depth, be this kind of almost metaphor for Wolverine's attitude toward, you know, his own humanity versus animalistic side. Like it all it all starts to feel like one big story, as much as you mentioned, it is kind of broken up into little sub chapters. Mm -hmm. I I enjoyed the hell out of that. And also um, the way Sabretooth was written. Wolverine Mm -hmm. season one actually makes him scary again, which is great because not a lot of people are are, do that. I got to read it. (laughs) <laughs> it's been four or five years i i meant to read it before this and then uh as a lot of plans do they uh, were sacrificed in uh the effort of rewatching fargo season two you know you, you gotta do what you gotta do i get it but uh from someone who read it you know literally last night because i am a procrastinator and uh are you or are you a prepared gentleman i mean the listeners will never know so let's go for prepared gentlemen mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, no, for me, that uh, that really holds up. And it takes a character who's been taken in a, like, a billion different directions, like too many directions, in my opinion, and seems to condense them down well to, you know, this is what it is to be Wolverine. This is what Wolverine means. This is how we integrate, you know, like the early Canadian stuff and the Weapon X stuff and show a Logan that makes sense to be the Logan who's going to meet Professor Xavier, like when the X-Men, the modern day X-Men begin. And I feel like it was also like the Wolverine of our childhood, like the struggling with the am i a man or am i an animal kind of stuff uh that was what we read coming up uh it was fun to to have that as the as the sandbox in which to play and to still have it you know very much respects uh, a lot of the continuity that was um that was around it although feel wise it almost felt and, and this this might sound weird but like it felt like the 90s animated series wolverine but like a more kind of adult serious take on him without sacrificing what made me think he was the coolest character ever when i was 12 I never saw the 90s series, so I will take your word for it. I'm not going to say going back is the best idea. It, uh... Oh, I'm not going to go back. <laughs> okay, good. That's that's for the best. You can go back to Batman, the animated series from that era. X-Men, it, it was great then, and I love it because of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. But uh, We had the pleasure of meeting, meeting and working with and hanging out with Len Wein, who came to us as a fan of Thrilling. He would come to the live shows. And so when we first uh, – we did our first signing was – for that Wolverine comic in a comic store in the Valley. We asked Len if he would come with us to sign his own Wolverine. Cause it was, you know, based on the story that he wrote right. uh, in that Hulk stuff. And uh, so he very graciously came with us to the signing, you know, it's Acker and Blacker who did this new Wolverine version of the old Wolverine stuff and the guy who wrote that old Wolverine stuff. So I will tell you that Len Wein, aside from being a pip, a, a, a gentleman and a raconteur and a, a delight 
has the best signature I've ever seen. Like his autograph is, I, I don't know this for sure, but I feel like it was, um, commissioned, uh, like he gave an artist money to, or a letter to go teach me how to make the best autograph. And oh, they man. did. Like I felt like I was giving people a garage sale autograph <laughs> compared to his, the, his beautiful thing. And then people kept bringing in, you know, work from him from various points in his career. And it was interesting to see a parade of comics I grew up with and didn't know were his. There was a Green Lantern where he fought a tattooed man who like pushed his tattoo and it jumped out equal to the constructs that Green Lantern made. And it was like, I remember the 7-Eleven that I bought that from and like loved that issue. And it was neat to see like, hey, I'm I'm here literally rubbing elbows against this guy who wrote a lot of my childhood. Oh, man, I am I am intensely jealous. That's so cool. Yeah, because Len Wein, like, he did freaking everything. People don't remember, but, I mean, he did, of course, Giant Size X-Men number one and the early Wolverine stuff, but he was just yeah. all over superhero comics. Yeah, we got him to write an episode of Beyond Belief for us one time in the Thrilling Adventure Hour. I look forward to getting to that one. That's awesome. Yeah, we did a thing late in the run where we had other writers do holiday episodes so we could, uh, you know, work with other writers that we liked, and, and Ed Brubaker was the first. Oh, cool. Yeah. Man. We wrote a, a Christmas episode. Uh, where John Hamm played Santa Claus. You guys have such an incredible... I mean, we're, we're totally getting off the X topic here, but that's okay. It's my show. I'm allowed. You guys got a truly amazing voice cast on Thrilling Adventure Hour. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. It's um, a hodgepodge collage of your favorites from any nerdy endeavor. We had, at one point, Dr. Venture, uh, James Urbaniak was on stage with, uh, I want to say, Adam Bush from Buffy, and Dave Gruber-Allen, and Sam Levine from Freaks and Geeks. And John DiMaggio, who plays Bender on Futurama. And I had the epiphany that our show was uh, Geekwinox. Like, <laughs> if you like anything, odds are we have at least one person from that thing in the show sometimes. That's a hell of an accomplishment there. Goddamn. I wonder if we can get all of them on our show. I mean, we're big, nope. you know. We have uh, some uh, listeners. Uh, look, uh, no, you can't. Sorry. <laughs> very busy and don't know a thing about X-Men. Alas, alas. All right. So meanwhile, we do have some listener questions. So I was thinking we could jump into those. And Jay actually did prepare an answer for the first one. So I'm going to answer here as Jay. And then the second one, Ben, I will throw your way because it's a question for you. All right. But if you have an opinion on the first one, feel free to jump in as well. I probably will. Excellent. An anonymous listener on Tumblr asks, is there a reason why everyone seems to hate Gambit? All I can gather is they keep calling him sleazebag, which I can infer is referencing his womanizing traits, including that dumb pheromone power he has slash had. But is that really it? And Jay's response, and I quote, a really common problem with Gambit, I think the animated series is maybe the best example of this, is that he tends to be written as straight men's kind of limited idea of what a charming guy all the girls want would be like. And the result is a character who's basically made out of red flags and pickup artist tropes, but to whom all the female characters respond like he's the cat's pajamas. I can't speak for other readers, but for me, that disparity has always been really off-putting, and it's both a huge factor in my knee-jerk dismissal of the character and notably absent from the versions I genuinely like. Also, he's a ridiculous continuity monster with fingers in pretty much every terrible 90s pie, but that's a whole other thing. Seriously, though, new son, ex-trader, third summer's brother, and so forth. What's your take, Ben? I feel like that hit the nail on the head <laughs> and was more eloquent than I could be off the cuff. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. He's a real theoretical pretty boy pickup artist, kind of a creep, right? Like, And there's no um, connective tissue between his experience and the reader's experience, you know, like it's, Oh yeah. He's just like us in that he has weird seductive powers and, uh, speaks in a fake patois <laughs> just like we do. And 
I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like it's ah, traditionally not a lot of tradi- – I say traditionally like I'm writing the most nuanced gambit there is. Uh, <laughs> no, we are playing with the ideas that you just expressed. So, yeah, he's kind of he's – a, he's a bit of a jerk bag. Like he has no rich internal life. He has no like deep want. He's there to, to look pretty and – throw another thing at a villain to make it explodey. <laughs> and, you know, not that he's not, you know, heroic at times, but yeah, I think that's basically when Gambit works, like when Gambit is a more straightforward character. Not that he can't have his own complex continuity uh, and past, not that he can't have deep fields for, like, Rogue or whoever, but Gambit should be a character who's just sort of a little surface and a lot of fun. Or, or play with that. Like, I mean, there's a world where Gambit realizes what, a, what an empty shirt he is, and uh, tries to figure out like who he really is. Like there, there's fun to be had in that, but I don't, I don't know that it's been had. Now I want to see like a, a sort of road trip, uh, buddy miniseries with Gambit, and I don't know, like like I'll somebody. Tell you who. I'll tell you who you're looking for. Hmm? Longshot. Holy shit! You just because cre- oh, that- Longshot is the other pretty boy that doesn't know it or whatever, like that dumb trope. But uh, I feel like those two guys inadvertently sleeping with all of america <laughs> and uh longshot is also you may not know this my favorite x-men character so i of course fully fully approve of this idea and he's got that kind of like good-natured innocence that uh mm-hmm. gambit could maybe learn something from yeah woody boyd style this would be the greatest thing ever i mean yeah i know you have a little bit of pull at marvel perhaps uh more I than zero i do thing. they were doing something else with him the longshot story i want to tell is him having a string of bad luck and trying to figure out if his powers are playing a long game. Okay, like if it's going to add up to overall good luck in the end? Like, yeah, if he if they're preparing him to actually be a, a better person. Um, so because he's experiencing loss. Like, he's there's a, yeah, a long game kind of a thing. Like, his, it's his utter faith in his powers being there. And the question is, did he just lose his powers? Right, yeah. So I have to ask, um, since you mentioned, obviously, you've thought a lot about Longshot. Um, do you have a favorite previous Longshot story? Hmm... I I couldn't cite it, but I feel like there was an Arthur Adams Mojo long shot yeah. uh, story, that, like an annual probably, where they turn into babies and he was the only grown up, I want to say. I don't know. Yep. Is that a thing? Well, there, there was Mojo Mayhem uh, that was about that. And then I think there was there was another one where, where Mojo creates the ex-babies in the first place. I know there's the original Anne Nesenti Art Adams story where he first appeared and Mojo was in that, but the ex-babies weren't. So you might yeah, be thinking of, of two I things. I might be conflating. Yeah, but you are you are talking about a couple of my favorite long shot stories if you are. So mm-hmm. good taste, conflation aside. This is Miles from the Future, and Miles from the Past that you just listened to totally forgot that that was really a thing. It was X-Men Annual number 10. Ben was right. Miles from the Future feels shame. And now, back to the episode. Yeah. Well, um, was he, he was not in, I don't feel like he was in that New Mutants X-Men crossover where they went to Asgard. Um, no, that was a little before Longshot's time, I believe. But that was, believe. I think, also Arthur Adams. Maybe yeah. That's what's, and boy, I, like, not to get off topic, but you, uh, I listened to your New Mutants podcast from, I don't know, maybe last week or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Fallen Angels, man, that was great. I didn't remember it until you said it, and then I remembered, like, so much of it. It's such a bizarre, bizarre series that like just goes in directions I never would have expected. But it's one of my favorites. Yeah, I first started reading that when I was a kid, and I had no context for like how weird or not the series was because it was just like in the big stack of comics. Mm-hmm. But that one stuck with me. Just you know, the Coconut Grove and Chance and Ariel and like freaking Devil Dinosaur and Boom Boom. Yeah, Boom Boom is one of my favorites. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Skids and Rusty, I feel like they ended bad, like not in a critical way, but like, <laughs> I don't know if they're still alive. Uh, Rusty got killed by, um, by Holocaust when he came back from the Age of Apocalypse, which was yeah, really unfortunate because it was such a pointless death. But the story in the early X Factor of him learning to control his fire and her learning to turn off her shield, like it was, that was great. Those X Factor kids were awesome, and I wish more people remembered how awesome they were. Yeah. 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 And Richter and everybody. When it actually felt like, in a way that DC didn't at the time, that the teenagers were teenagers. Yeah, that was something Louise Simonson really excelled at. I mean, I know her New Mutants run gets some flack coming right out of Claremont's run because the characters had somewhat different voices. But once she gets a feel for that, and I think like from the start with the X Factor kids, like she knew how to write teenagers. Yeah. Did she do Power Pack also? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was totally Louise Simonson. Man, they should give us Power Pack. I just want Louise Simonson to come back and write all the things, including Power Pack. Mm -hmm. Oh, I will also write a thing book. (laughs) Boy, oh boy. Ben Grimm. Oh, geez. Yeah. With uh, Doc Shaner. That would be so good. I know. You know, I'm, I'm sure there are at least some people that work actually at Marvel that listen to our show. In fact, I, I know there are at least a couple. Um, so what we're talking about right now, what Ben and I are talking about right now, pull the strings you need to make it happen. We need Longshot and Gambit. We need Doc Shaner also helping out with the thing. Like, these need to exist if my show accomplishes nothing else. Uh, I pitched a Howard, the, well, Blacker and I pitched a Howard the Duck thing like the day after Chip Zdarsky did. Because we both saw Chris Samney's Daily Doodle of Howard the Duck, and I think everyone who saw that, who wrote comics at all, was like, oh yeah, that's what you do. <laughs> exactly. Man, and yeah, Zdarsky's run on that has been stellar. Uh, is there anything, like, that's the problem with Zdarsky. There's nothing he can't do, and also, you like him a lot. Like, he's like a likable gambit. Yeah, so you can't just be all resentful of him, because he's a nope. good dude. What's like, up with I'd that? I'd rather read his Howard the Duck than mine. <laughs> Which is high praise indeed. Oh, okay, so yes, we have a second question. So this one is actually directly for you, and this is from Joe on uh, Patreon. So Joe asks, Gambit, Deadpool, Sparks Nevada, and Frank and Sadie Doyle, who, uh, for people who aren't familiar from uh, Thrilling Adventure Hour, are playing poker. Who wins and why? If you aren't familiar with Thrilling Adventure Hour, fast forward 45 seconds. (laughs) Uh, No, Frank and Sadie win because they are, of all those people, the Bugsist bunnies. Whether Frank wins uh, because Sadie let him win or... Sadie wins because Frank set that up. Frank and Sadie absolutely win. No question. And why? Because Gambit shouldn't win. He's, uh, it will be fun to watch him struggle with losing in a similar way, but not identical to how, uh, fun it is to see Sparks Nevada lose because no one plays low status with higher status than Mark Evan Jackson portray sparks nevada has that been 45 <laughs> seconds welcome back to the podcast people who don't know thrilling adventure wow <laughs> man yeah i do love that about uh frank and sadie how like you know it's it just it's almost cartoon logic around them like the world just sort of writes itself around the way they see it mm-hmm. which you know speaking of characters like Longshot to a degree mm-hmm. yep. yeah they are uh they see the world through booze colored glasses also, their livers are very, very impressive. Mm-hmm. All right. And I guess that's about all I had here. So, uh, Ben, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been a ton of fun. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Any projects you're doing now that you want to tell the listeners about? Aside from, you know, Deadpool v. Gambit? I do. I really do. But they are secret and haven't been announced yet. And they're going to blow your mind's butts off. I uh, I wish I could tell you. And uh, I guess follow me on Twitter at B-N-A-C-K-E-R. Because when we get to announce the stuff that we have in the works, we will shout it from the rooftops. 
Awesome. And is, is there any other place on the internet people should find you besides Twitter? Um, well, they can also find thrilling ADV at Twitter, uh, which is kind of, uh, still on Twitter, kind of absolutely still on Twitter. Uh, but that's, yeah, that's, that's where we do the bulk of our hellos. Uh, listen to our podcast, my, uh, the thrilling adventure hours previously discussed blacker has a podcast. You should absolutely listen to. It is one of the best podcasts in the damn world. It is called the Nerdist writers panel. If you're interested in TV or, the act of being creative and writing, listen to the Nerdist Writers Panel. It's a thing that didn't exist in the world and needed to, and he made it, and I love it. Sweet. So, but, I'll, but more listen to the Thrilling Adventure Hour, because I wrote on it. Oh, and find episodes of Wits, if you like what I do. Uh, Wits was an NPR, uh, not an NPR, a public radio show out of Minnesota that sadly has come to an end, but I wrote sketch for that, and it was a pleasure. Just like this conversation. Sweet. So yes, listeners, check out all of those things. And yeah, Ben, um, if you guys do any more X stuff, or if you just want to come on and talk about, you know, whatever X stuff is on your mind, we would love to have you on again. Uh, ben Blacker, if his voice returns, uh, as Jace hopefully will as well, also. Uh, yeah, we'll see. You know, he's the kind of guy, Blacker, that his voice maybe will never come back. Oh, man. A tragedy that would be. I'll keep my fingers crossed. That would be the end of his podcast, too. <laughs> curses why why biology why sea witches all right well awesome um yes i will hopefully talk to you before too long uh thanks again for being here it's been a pleasure my pleasure thank you oh man that was awesome uh meanwhile we are a fully listener supported podcast and some levels of donation to our show get listeners thanks and a variety of voices of fictional characters and or concepts so i'm going to turn it over to not myself i assure you it's a really different person but in fact to everybody's favorite raging cajun sexy gambit Hey, Cher. Gambit be on a mission, true. But me and mes amis Mike Gagan and Derek Devereaux-Smith can take a little time off for pleasure, no? Sure, you came here with Peng Lai, but leaving with us will bring you to the heights of Cajun ecstasy. I guarantee. Wait, Peng Lai? Gambit didn't see you, Dare. Ha 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 ha! You thought I was Peng Lai, but in fact I am the immortal weapon Fat Cobra! I have come to the city to enjoy the finer things in your American life with my good friends Andy Bartholomew and Hugh McGowan. But you have interfered, and now you shall enjoy my finer fists in your American face! Punishing glare of livid fireflies! Uppercut of the quiet stream! One thousand year elephant palm! And with that, Jane Miles Explain the X-Men is recorded in Portland, Oregon and is produced by Kyle Yount, host of the Godzilla podcast KaijuCast. New episodes of our show come out Sundays on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and at explainthexmen.com. Check out explainthexmen.com for all kinds of extra content. Visual companions to every episode, along with interviews, fan art, recaps, reviews, and more. Our show is 100% listener-supported. If you'd like to help us stay on the air and stay ad-free, check out the Patreon link at the top of explainthexmen.com. Next week, Atlantis half-heartedly attacks, while Boom Boom loves boys, Jubilee plays dress-up, and X-Factor meets the Blues Brothers. (laughs) 